0: Good morning. If you're like me, you love this, this time of year. If you notice when you came in the sanctuary that uh, it's been beautified, if I can use that word, I don't even know if that's really a word, but uh, that's what it looks like to me. It looks really great. And uh, so make sure you thank all the late, there was a lot of hard work that went into this on Friday to make it look like this. And so as we move into this Christmas season, I was thinking about just how much I love Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that goes with it and the excitement leading up to it and the the weeks and I remember being a little kid and doing Christmas Eve, 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 like, you know, you would start counting down like five days before and keep adding and you'd be so excited and, and, uh, even thinking about Thanksgiving a couple of weeks ago and just the, the fun that that is and being with family and, I'm blessed with a, a family I get along really well with and we enjoy being together and so, uh, but then it ends and they, you know, like my brother's gotta go back to Texas and, go back to work and you do those things. And same with Christmas, Christmas will come and then it will go and there'll be the taking down of all the stuff. And, and I was thinking about that, the, the wonderful seasons that we have and the wonderful things that we celebrate, but that they, they always come to an end. There always comes a time where then, then they end and we've got to take it all down. And it's kind of like that, uh, almost that disappointment of like, Oh, it's over, you know, now we've got to wait for it again. And, and uh, as I was thinking about this this week and coming to this and where we are in our series and how we've gotten today, we're coming to the, the culmination, the climax of, of God's story in this picture we've been painting and, and walking our way all the way through scripture. And what we're going to see today is there is a future that is coming where it won't come to an end. It won't be a disappointment. There won't be a letdown. There won't ever be a time when we go, oh, it's over because it'll get better each and every day. Every day will be perfect. And then the next day will be better. And over and over into eternity, and that's the picture that the Apostle John paints for us, and that's what we're going to look at today in Revelation 21 and 22. If you want to follow along in the few Bibles that look like this, if you need a Bible that's on page 600. And seventy two and seventy three is where we're going to be this morning. And so what we've been doing just to catch us up to this point, we've been walking our way all the way since January, walking our way through scripture and looking at this picture of the story, God's story and the way he relates to us and what he's doing. And so we've been all the way through and looking at that And, and the way we talked about it, just going back just a couple months, not going all the way back to the beginning, but we saw the Gospels when Jesus comes and, and what he does is he purchases our salvation as perfect sacrifice for us. And then you get into Acts and Acts is the proclamation. The word goes out and it's told and it goes out. And then where we've been the last few weeks is what we we're calling the explanation. Really from Romans to Jude is, is the series of letters that are explaining all that's happened. And we've been looking at that each week. And last week we got to first Thessalonians and we got to where Paul was explaining What happens when Christ returns? And so we saw the beginning of that. And what we saw is Paul giving this explanation of those that had died, that had gone on, that were in Christ. What happens to them? And and essentially what he tells us is they're not dead. They are asleep and they are with Christ. And they're going to be part of the second coming when Jesus returns. And so that's what we looked at last week because we kind of ended that section of the explanation. As Paul says, Christ is going to return and we're going to see him and we're going to be called up. And then he's going to usher in his new kingdom and what that looks like. And so this morning, that's what we're going to end with. What the new kingdom, when Jesus returns, what's that picture? What does it look like? And, and we're going to do that by looking at Revelation 21 and 22. But before we do. Just one little part that we we need to bridge here. And we could have spent a whole sermon on this, but because this is a big overview, I'm just going to do this real real briefly. But it needs to be said before we move on to this. And it's simply this. When Christ returns, Jesus is very clear that he says there will be a separation. There will be a separating as the goats from the sheep or the, the ones that have put their faith in me and the ones that haven't. And he talks about how those that that didn't put their faith in him, he's going to turn and he's going to tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. And it's this very serious picture that Jesus talks about quite often. In fact, the apostle John tells us this and shows us this in the chapter right before we're looking at today in the end of Revelation 20. And he talks of a lake of fire and he says, those that have rejected Christ will be put into the lake of fire for eternity And then he moves on to this beautiful picture of what it will look like for those who are in Christ. And so as we move into this beautiful picture and we rejoice in the glorious hope that we have in Jesus, we need to say this first. This only comes if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and nothing else. There's a very real divide there. And before we move into it, we need to make sure that we see that, you know, John says there'll be this lake of fire and sulfur in this picture. And we go, sometimes people go, do you really believe there's an actual lake of fire? And without getting into arguments on all those types of things, John uses very symbolic language and we can say, well, we're not exactly." Jesus did talk about a lake of fire, but, but beyond that, without going into all those things, I'll just say it this way. Whatever you can imagine is, is the worst, whatever that would be. It will be worse than that. And the reason it will be worse than that is it says it will be a place where God is removed. All good things come from God. And if you remove that, there's nothing good left. And so I I say that that's a very serious way to start this beautiful picture that we're about to look at. But we need that needs to be said before we move into the beauty and the glory of the picture that's here in Revelation 20 or 21 and 22. And so with that said, let's let's pray and then we're going to look at just work our way through some of the things that John tells us about this glorious hope that we have in the future. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beautiful hope that we do have. We we pray that we would be uh, diligent and, and serious with your word this morning, that we would uh, let it speak for itself and that we would uh, we just ask that as we do so, that your spirit would move in this place, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that uh, We know and we confess that without you doing that, that this is uh, a waste of time and we need you here. We need you moving and showing us. We pray that you would do that today, that you would impress upon our hearts and minds what you would have us to see and that we would see it so clearly and just be uh, just see your beauty and your glory and your majesty that much more through it. We thank you for all you've done for us in Jesus and we pray it in his name. Amen. So as I said, we're on page 672, if you want to follow along there. And the way we're going to go at this, we've started putting just little outlines in the bulletin, if you've noticed that, with the family worship guide on the back side of that. That's if you take notes or it helps you to see that, that's there. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. But simply, usually we have three things or three questions. That's just kind of the way I work. And, And this morning, there's three things we're going to look at of this beautiful picture of what's to come. And this is the way we're going to go at it. One, it's going to be a new and better creation, a new and better life. And then a new and better relationship. And so new and better creation, life and relationship. That's our three things we're going to move through. And if you want to follow along with that, you've got that right in front of you with the verses we're going to be looking at. But let's begin just with the new and better creation. You know, as as, uh, we just read just a minute ago, uh, chapter 21, verses one and two. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so we get this picture as John sees this vision of this new heavens and new earth, and it's coming down out of heaven. And it's this beautiful picture of what it will be and and how beautiful it will be. It's the it's the longings of all the prophets and all the Old Testament and everything we've looked for. Uh, it connects us back to to Genesis three when we started this series is is the people uh, Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were with God and then they sinned, and and, and the curse comes and sin enters and all that comes with that. And uh, God makes a plan right there. And that's what we've been following all year of how he's going to restore this and he's going to regenerate it and he's going to fix it and he's going to make it new. And now here we are at the end of the story of it, of it becoming new and it being regenerated. You know, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus actually talks about his second coming and he uses a very interesting word when he does. He says, and, and then in the new world is, a, is the way English translation often says it. But re- literally it's in the regeneration, he says, when the son of man sits on his throne and what he's saying is that that word regeneration is all things are made new, completely remade and, and all of it brought new. And so you see here, as it says, as John tells us, a new heaven and a new earth comes down. And you see the same thing that Jesus was talking about, that, that that here was this creation that because of our sin and our rebellion, it starts to fall apart and break down. And, and Jesus had made a way that he had promised that he's going to come and fix this. And then here is the time that it is now the, the culmination, the consummation of all these promises and all this, that now it is being made new. You know, in, in Romans eight, Paul talks about creation groaning under the weight of sin and it's subjected to futility in, in all these pictures and we see that we see that all around us. But then Paul says it so well in, in Romans chapter eight and verse twenty one, he says creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so what we see here is the, the culmination of that, of that coming together in this picture of the new heavens and the new earth and it all coming down and all of God's plan coming together. And as we read on, as we start to look here in Revelation, you know, we get into what we've been talking about. If you've been in our Sunday school classes at all recently, we've been just work working through uh, a series on hermeneutics, how to study the Bible. And one of the things just uh, last week, I believe, or the week before, we talked about the differences in genre and how we read the Bible and how it's different depending on different parts. And we get to the book of Revelation and Revelation is kind of its own uh, genre, its own little Uh, section there it's what we call apocalyptic literature and it's looking ahead to the end times and it's looking at these things but it's also just these these real lots and lots of metaphors and all kinds of different language and so when we talk about our hermeneutics how to read the bible how to study it revelation is one of those where we go we got to slow down and really look carefully because there's just so much there and there's so many uh, pictures and so many things. And so what John does is he starts to show us what this is going to be like. But there are so many pictures. Sometimes it's hard to get a grasp on it. And I just want to show you a couple as we talk about this first point, the new and better creation. If you look uh, here in, in verse, uh, just go back to verse one for just a second. And it says there at the end, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And it says the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. And so you get to the end and we go, what does that mean? Does that that mean there'll be no water? There'll be no bodies of water in heaven? Or we we start to try to figure out what this looks like. Is that literally what that means? You know, actually, I thought of you, Eric, as I I was reading this this week. And I thought, man, Eric Weller is going to be really bummed out if there's no water in, in heaven. Because if you know, Eric's like a pro water skier. And it's like, I thought, man. That's not literal, that it's the no more sea, because but but what it is, is is we have to start to really kind of strip away and look at this and think about what John's audience he's writing to and what he's talking about and what he's saying. And, and, and what what we come to is in John's day and in his time, the, the, the vision, the, the idea, the picture of the sea had a very clear picture to his audience and what it was that the sea was disorder. It was chaos It was the muck and the mire and all the images that you see in scripture when it talks about the sea. And so when John says to his audience, and I saw this new heaven and new earth and there was no more sea, the people would have gone, "Ah, no more chaos, no more disorder. No more of these things, and it would be so clear to to his audience. And sometimes we miss that in this this picture. So, so is this telling us what the the uh, situation's going to be in terms of water and the new heaven? I, I don't know. I don't think so. We can't clearly say what exactly it's going to be, but we know from John's audience that's what they would have seen and that's what they would have gotten. I was thinking about it as, as growing up uh, in Connecticut. We had lots and lots of snow. As you, you grow up, I mean, I remember the last year we lived there, 25 inches in 24 hours. Lots and lots of snow just dumped on you. And so snow plows were a normal thing and that was just part of way of life. And so if you said to somebody who grew up in Connecticut or lived there their whole life and in the new heavens and new earth, there'll be no more snow plows. They would go, yes, yes, I know exactly what you mean. And the the dirtiness of all that and the pain and all. And so kind of the same thing in John's vernacular here when he's talking and they go, yes, no more disorder. And no more chaos. And so look down in a, the end of chapter 21 here, verses 23 to 25, and you see a similar thing. And it says, and the city was in uh, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb by its light. Will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and the gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. And so the same thing we could go. So there'll be no night ever in heaven. And so I'm not going to say that. I don't know exactly. And I'm trying to walk the line here of saying I'm not going to go beyond what scripture says. But I want you to think about his audience again of who he's writing to. If you lived in a culture with no electricity and you lived in cities that when the night fell, they closed up the walls and they kind of fortified it. You didn't want to be outside the city out in the wilderness at night where it's pitch black and there's wild animals and there's robbers and there's all these things. And so this picture that John begins to show us and begins to say when he says, and the gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. Again, his audience would go, yes, there'll be no scary places. There'll be no places that we don't want to go after dark. There'll be no. I mean, it's, it's similar to today. If you go to a big city and you go to the, the bad side of town or you go to kind of a shady area, you don't want to be there after dark in a place that you don't know. There's there's fearful places. Or, so what John's saying and what he's telling us is there's going to be no more fearful places. There's going to be no more of that. It won't be like that anymore. And so he starts to paint this picture. You know, there'll be no need to to close up the gates. Or maybe in our language, there'll be be no need for you to be worried to walk to your car alone at a certain time of day. That won't exist anymore. I want you to see the picture that he's painting. No more disorder and no more chaos and no more fearful places and, and none of those things. And he starts to paint this picture for us. And we start to get a vision of what this is going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth. Go back to. Verse two, for just a second, I'll show you one more here. And this really takes us into this new and better life, but it kind of bookends the new and better creation. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And this is where you get into apocalyptic literature. We've got a city coming down, but it's dressed as a bride for her husband. So he starts to mix his metaphors and you get in. So heaven is a city that's coming down. It's going to have a dress on. I mean, that's if we get real literal, we go, wait a second, what exactly is happening here? Because he says the city comes down and it's adorned as a bride and we start to kind of get into some of these things and we go, what exactly is the picture and what is what is he showing and what is he talking about? You know, in scripture, Jesus himself talks about uh, a city set on a hill Right? He talks about a city and what that will look like. He's talking about if, if, if you know that that's in Matthew five in the, in the sermon on the Mount, he says, you'll be a city set on a hill, be a light for the world to see. The picture of city really is referring to and, and even the picture of bride as we, as we move all the way through scripture is God's people. It's those that have put their faith in him. And so you see this picture of 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 the city adorned ready for her husband and the the image. And so what we're really seeing is this this idea is the the people of God being adorned and ready to be united with God forever. And this beautiful picture that starts to come. And as you read through the hope of all uh, the scriptures and like in Isaiah and it talks about the the many people, the all tribes and tongues and nations will come together. And you think about a new and better creation, a creation where there'll be unity among all people of all nations, of all tribes, and we'll all be together, united with God forever. And so you start to see this beautiful picture of, of what's coming and, and how, how, to, how there'll be unity in creation. There'll be no chaos and no disorder and no fearful places, and, and everyone will get along, and you start to see this. And when you see that, and when you start to think about that, that leads us to to why this will be a new and better life, right? not just a new and better creation, but a new and better life. And we start to see that picture through here. And I want as we as we move to the second part, the new and better life, I want us to think about just a couple of things that will make that so that will be part of that. And I would say it like this. The, the new and better life will be two, two things that I really want us to hit on. One will be spiritually Morally, completely remade, washed completely clean, completely morally pure. And we'll look at that in just a second. And the second one is we're going to have new physical bodies, not just spiritually and emotionally, but new physical bodies, completely made new, new and better life. And so let me show you the first one about spiritual renewal. Look at verses nine, 10 and 11 in chapter 21. And then came one of the seven angels who had seen seven bowls of the seven plagues. And he spoke to me, saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, the bride being the church, the people of God prepared to meet their husband, Jesus. He says, I'll show you. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And so what we see is the consummation when when Jesus comes and he sets up his new heavens and his new earth. And this picture of his bride being prepared for him. And and it says it will be having the glory of God and its radiance and clear as crystal. And the picture starts to emerge and starts to be there of, of we will be made and washed completely clean. Total, perfect, morally and spiritually and pure and all that goes with that. And and so as I was thinking about that, you know, when when you become a Christian, you put your faith, you profess faith in Christ, you get God's spirit dwelling inside of you and it convicts us of sin and it shows us and it begins to make us over in his likeness. And as you become a Christian, I don't have to tell you. That happens, and your your conscience is pricked, and you have this new way and a a heart of flesh, and you start to see things. And then what happens is you start to see your sin more clearly. And you begin to pray and say, God, I don't want to say hurtful, uncaring things. I don't want to be that way to people. And then guess what happens? You say hurtful and uncaring things. And you're you're so oh, the frustration, that struggle. Or you say, Uh, God, I I, want to worship you and I want to be so taken with you that I worship you and it doesn't matter about anything else. And then you come to church and you get distracted about meaningless things. I don't like that song so much. I don't like this or I don't whatever it is. And we get so distracted and our worship gets off or we say, God, I want your peace. I don't want to be worrisome. I don't want to have anxiety over what's going on in my life. I just want to trust you. And inevitably what happens is there's times when we worry and we have anxiety or we say, God, I want to be uh, pure in thought because those will see God. But my thoughts are not pure. And I struggle with lust and frustrations and things going on in my mind. And I don't want those things. And so what we see here is God's going to prepare us, right? And he's going to take away all those things. You know, Paul says in Romans 7, he says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, I. And then he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is Christ. And he has. And we have that very real today. He's delivered us and He's given us His Spirit. But what we see here in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be made completely clean. There will be no more hurtful words, they'll be gone. And there'll be no more distractive worship, and there'll be no more lustful thoughts, and there'll be no more worry or anxiety or greed or envy or laziness. It'll all be taken away. Do you see the picture that John is telling? That is the future that you have with Christ. Completely new. So I say it's a, a new and better life. Yes, there's tastes of it now. And yes, we see bits and pieces now. But it will be its fullness when He returns. And so we see this beautiful, beautiful picture, all of it perfectly morally clean. But then we see also look at verse four, and it's just kind of hinted at here. We see it other places more clearly in Scripture. But in verse four, it says he talking about Jesus will be there dwelling with us and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And so what we get, though, is, yes, a lot of that will be taking place because we'll be spiritually renewed. And all that goes with that, that there won't be uh, pain. There won't be mourning and there won't be crying because there'll be no hurtful words and there'll be none of those things. But there'll also be no more pain because physically there'll be no more pain because you're going to get a new body that is completely made over. We see this so clearly in first in Corinthians 15, as Paul says, our perishable body will become imperishable. Our mortal will put on immortality. We'll have new bodies We're not going to be disembodied souls just floating around and happy because we don't have a body. We get a new body that goes with the new creation that leads to a new and better life because we're going to have perfect spiritual renewal, but perfect physical renewal as well. God's going to make all things new. He's not leaving out any part of creation. He's going to reclaim all of it. And so you get this beautiful picture of a new and better body and a new and better uh, morality, just all of it. So perfect and clear and clean. There's, there's one other thing I just want to hit on real quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I didn't want to not mention it. You know, you see here in in, in chapter 22, verse five, it says, uh, the Lord, their God will be their light. And then right at the end of verse five in, in chapter 22, it says, and they will reign forever and ever. I don't know exactly what that means, and I'm not going to try to guess all that it means, but just just one quote here from N.T. Wright. The way he says this, this just struck me this week. He says there is a sign here of a future project that waits that that awaits the redeemed in God's eventual new world. So far from sitting on clouds, playing harps, as people often imagine, the redeemed people of God in the new world will be agents of his love going out in new ways to accomplish new creative tasks to celebrate and extend the glory of God. Of his love. We're going to have things to do. You know, work in scripture was before the fall. Work is not a thing that's a bad thing that came in because of the fall. God had plans for us to be part of his creation and doing things. And and what it says here is we're going to have that. We're going to reign with him and we're going to do things. And so I'm just going to leave that there. But just to simply say, we're going to have things to do. And can you imagine going to a job that never gets old and you're never frustrated with and you're never tired and you love doing it and you get to do it and it's always better? That's the picture that's here. The wonderfulness that goes with all that. And so what we have is a a new and better creation And a new and better life with with a spiritual renewal and a physical renewal and a a purpose and things to do. And we'll never be frustrated with them. And so this is what we get to the last part. And this is the most important part because this is what fuels all of it. And the last part is there's going to be a new and better relationship. Look at chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He says he's going to be there with us. No. Shadows, no, uh, the spirit. Yes, the spirit dwells in us now, but we're going to see him fully. You know, I say it's a new and better relationship. And I wanted to find that just a little bit because you could say, well, it's not completely new. And that's true. It's not completely new because through Christ, we have the Holy Spirit And we have a very real relationship with God and with Jesus and what he's done for us and his spirit moving in us. But I but I think about uh, that picture. And yes, that is absolutely true. We do have that relationship now, but but in some ways it will be new and it will be infinitely better. You know, I think about oftentimes I talk with my son's. Uh, Jed and Asher and we talk about God and where he is and, and five and six year olds, ask great questions and they keep you on your toes and the things they say. But oftentimes we'll talk about the Holy Spirit and what that means. And God is omniscient and he's he's all powerful and he's everywhere and he's all these things. And, and but inevitably, almost always at the end of those conversations, what ends up happening is is uh, usually Jed, my five year old, will finally just say, why can't we just see him? Why can't we just see him? I think there it is in the heart of a five year old. Why can't we just see him? And then we read here in chapter 22, verses three, four and five. And it says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him and they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads and the night will be no more and they will need no light of lamp or sun for the, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And so you get this picture of we will see his face. We'll be in his immediate presence. And not only that, if you read at the beginning of chapter two, there's this picture of the water... and and what's flowing down from his throne. And you get this picture of he's going to empower us in every way. He's going to be the thing that keeps us going. He's going to be the thing that keeps us perfectly morally pure and physically pure and all those things and all of creation flowing from him. And so what we get is this picture of this new part of the relationship is it's completely unimpeded and uninterrupted in fullness, in completeness, every day, all the time. And so when the day comes, will be a new and better relationship. The very longing of our heart, everything that we long for in every relationship and in everything we're looking for will be there completely and totally made pure. As we will be able to look at his face and to, to look and, and gaze actually at the perfect uh, picture of holiness. The perfect picture of God will see the one that made our very beings and will know it and it will be such a fullness and such a beautiful picture. And so the longing of restoration and the longing of all the the prophets and all throughout scripture, here it is. The promise right there in the garden of I'm going to fix all things and I have a plan and I'm coming and I'm going to do it. This is the ends of it in the beautiful picture of what it will be. You know, I love when you, you read here, there's so much to this. And I'm just going to real briefly make one other uh, just note here and we'll do it real, real briefly. But in verses 15 to 21 in uh, chapter 21, it starts to give us all these dimensions of the new city and what it looks like and all these things and all this detail. And you start to try to figure out what exactly is he telling us and what is God trying to show us by this vision and this picture? And one thing that jumps off the page and what kind of stands out is it's going to be this perfect cube. So the way it's described the height and the width and the depth, it's all going to be the same. And suddenly you get this picture of this perfect cube and you go, well, what is the symbolism? What is God showing us? And immediately comes to mind is there's one cube in scripture. There's one perfect square like that in, in scripture. And it's the holy of holies in the tabernacle and in the temple where God dwells. And so John paints this picture of the perfect cube coming down And then we're going to be there gazing at his face forever and there'll be no separation. And so you get this picture of the dwelling place of God is now with man. What used to be separated by our sin is now perfect in fullness and in completeness. And we're there with him. And so you just see this beautiful, beautiful picture of the new heavens and the new earth and a new and better creation and a new and better life and a new and better relationship that empowers it all because we're with God and it's never interrupted. And so as we come to the end of this series, I mean, we've been doing this almost all year. As we come to this picture of what it means and, and, and what's to come and the glorious hope that we have, I want us just to end for just a second of of now what? Right, we can we, we read this. And we relish in the glory that is to come and what God has yet to do. And we, we, that is where we find our hope and our excitement. I heard, uh, I, I've read that Jonathan Edwards used to get up every day and, and meditate for 20 minutes on heaven. It's the way he started every day. I'm just going to think about this and dwell on this. And so, so what does that leave us? So what do we do with that now? And so I think what happens sometimes is, is there's this, uh, this temptation to just say, I'm going to hole up and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait it out. This world is so messed up and it's frustrating and it's hard and it's all these things. And so I'm going to get those that I love closest to me and we're just going to kind of get together and wait it out. And then this will come and we know it'll come. But but that's not what scripture tells us to do. That's not the picture that's there that we just hole up and wait. But but what are we to do? And I want to show you one last thing in this passage that's just so important that we see it in verses chapter 21, verses three, four and five. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and just notice the tenses that, that this is being spoken with here. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, and all the former things have passed away. But then look at verse 5. And he who is seated on the throne, Jesus speaks. Behold, I am making all things new. There's all these things that he says I'm going to do and I am going to wipe away every tear and there will be no more pain and there will be. The, but then Jesus speaks and he says, I am present tense, making all things new. And so the fullness of all this does not come complete the consummation until Jesus returns. But that doesn't mean he's not working right now. He says, I am making all things new and I've given you my spirit and I've told you to go make disciples and to go tell everyone of what I've done and what's coming and go out and, and, and begin to paint the picture of what's to come. We have this charge of of going forth and we know a world is coming. Will there be no pain and no crying and no any of these things? So start to show that now, even though we can't fully do it, we begin to to point to that. We begin to seek to do that, making uh, all the while making disciples of Jesus and pointing to how that will happen. And it's all in Christ. That brings us to the end. That's, that's it. That's where, that's where we go. But I want to leave you with just one analogy. And I thought it was, you may have heard this. I know a few of you heard it in Sunday school probably six months back. But it just it sticks with my mind and it helps me to think about this. Uh, Michael Frost is a pastor in Australia. And he often talks about what we're to be doing as disciples of Jesus and going out and making disciples and what it looks like. And he and he gives this example. He says, I love to go to the movies. And he said, I love to go to the movies because I love to watch trailers. I love to see the, the big trailers of what's coming. And and you see the best parts of the movies. And oftentimes the trailers are better than the movies anyway. And you go and you watch those and you and you see and he said, I love to sit. But what his example is, he says, I love to sit in the back and see these trailers and he said, if it's a really good trailer and you walk look around a movie theater, he said somebody, they'll nudge the person next to him and they'll go, I'm seeing that. That is really great. I'm going to go see or we have to see that if it's a really great trailer. And so what Michael Frost says is, is the church is the body is Jesus is making all things new. Why don't we begin to be a trailer of what is to come? When we see pain and problems, we look to alleviate those. When there's needs, we look to meet him. When people are suffering and they're in hardships, there's going to be no suffering. So we look to alleviate suffering and we do it all the while speaking clearly the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done. And it's all coming to fruition in him and nothing else. That's how we're supposed to live. That's the charge that we now have in light of the glorious future that's coming. Let's pray. Dear Lord, please, we plead with you today that you would That you would impress upon our hearts the beauty of the reality that is coming, that we would be overwhelmed with it, that that our vision of what is to come would so overwhelm us, that the, the problems and the heartaches of this world would just be, as Paul calls them, a light momentary affliction compared to what is coming, that we would just see it that way. And when we do, we pray that we'd be so taken by it that we would want to go out and spread your love with every single person we come into contact with. Looking for ways to glorify and honor you and point to the future that we know that we have. We thank you that you came and that you purchased it for us and what you've done for us. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.